the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. They just didn't appreciate and revere and respect and worship God and they weren't thankful in their hearts. Whatever God did was never good enough. And so they complained and they murmured. That was their disposition. We have to really guard our hearts against that church. It's easy to just become complainers. It's easy to become people who just, you know, are, are always looking at what they think God hasn't done instead of what God has done. We have to guard against that in our own hearts. Guarding our hearts is perhaps the most serious task for a Christian as we walk through this life. Today, Pastor Gary is going to talk about the need to guard our hearts against complaining and grumbling. This is something God takes very seriously, because when we complain, we are coming against His plans and His purposes. We cannot ever forget that God is in control. Keep your eyes on everything that God has done in your life, starting with sending His Son to die in your place. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews chapter 3 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Don't become hardened in your hearts. He says, remember the time of the testing in the desert when your fathers tested and tried the Lord? And he ends verse nine by saying, and for 40 years saw what I did. Okay, so here's what was going on with the Jewish people. God miraculously delivers them after 400 years of slavery through a series of 10 plagues. Pharaoh reluctantly says, go ahead, you you can go. Okay, just the fact that they were free is a testimony of God's miraculous intervention. They're free, they're on their way to the promised land. They get their backs to the Red Sea. Pharaoh starts deciding, I want my slaves back, and goes charges after them. God parts the Red Sea. You know the story. The Hebrew people go through on dry ground, and then when the Egyptian army follows, God swallows them up in the Red Sea. I mean, time after time after time, the Jewish people were standing there looking, beholding the miracles of what God was doing. Now listen, there there were estimated anywhere from three to three and a half million Jews who left Egypt on their way to the Promised Land. And God took care of them, fed them, made sure they had water. Do you know how, just in comparison, so Loudoun County, the population of Loudoun County is about 375,000 people. So we're talking 10 times the size of Loudoun County. You know how many people it takes? An estimated 1,500 tons of food per day to feed three to three and a half million people. You know how much water it would take? 
to keep three to three and a half million people alive every single day, 11 million gallons. Now that's just basic necessity. That's like three to four gallons per person. Now in doing this research, I learned something. Do you know how many gallons of water the average person uses today on average? I was stunned. Now we're talking about so, you know, you're going to get up, you're going to use the bathroom, you're going to take a shower, you know, you're going to drink water through the day, maybe you'll do laundry. So you average all that out, 80 to 100 gallons of water per person per day. U.S. Geological Survey. Free information for you. 80 to 100 gallons of water per person per day. That's what we need. And God took care of three and a half million people through the wilderness, fed them, And Deuteronomy says their clothes didn't even wear out, neither did the shoes on their feet. And so God took care of them time after time after time after time after time. And they beheld the the miracles of God. I mean, this is incredible to think about how they were constantly seeing water out of a rock. Manna. Manna was their food. It just kind of came up out of the ground and and they would have to scoop it off every day. And you couldn't take more than just for that day because then it would spoil. If you tried to hoard it, it would spoil. And so it was like frosted flakes, like Krispy Kreme all across the ground every single morning. And quail, quail just would be flying in by the dozens and people would be eating quail and man and water out of a rock and God's parting the Red Sea and the Egyptian army, he's, he's doing away with them and all this stuff. And then, and then they're in the wilderness going, you know, we, is there any other thing on the menu? We're really kind of tired of this manna. We've done everything we can with it. We've made manna splits, manna cotti, manwiches. Do you have anything else, Lord? And we really don't. Can, can you put a little bubbly in the water? I mean, a little fizz or something? I mean, we can go, for goodness sakes, anywhere now. We can make our own drink selection and mix it just as we want. And they're whining about all this. And so God is holding them more accountable because of what it says there in the verse. He says, for 40 years, 40 years you saw what I did. You know who was held more accountable in the ministry of Jesus during his time? The three cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And why were they held more accountable? They were held more accountable because they beheld more of his witnesses, in a con- more of his miracles. In a concentrated area of about seven square miles, Jesus performed more miracles on the planet than anywhere else. And those three cities rejected him, didn't receive him, didn't believe him. That's why in Matthew eleven twenty one to 24, Jesus says that those three cities will be held more accountable. He said it will be better for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you who, who lived in Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum because of their lack of belief, despite the fact that Jesus had performed all these miracles. That's what's happening in this story here. Despite the fact that God had done all these miracles to sustain his own people, they were ungrateful. They complained. They were critical of all kinds of things. They tested and tried God on different levels. They tested and tried him in the area of deliverance. He had delivered them and they weren't grateful. They tried and tested him in the area of provision. He'd given them all this food, all this water, sustained them for 40 years. They were ungrateful. They tested and tried him in the area of leadership. They didn't like Moses. They didn't like the guy that he had chosen. Even Moses, his own brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, complained against God. Korah led a rebellion against Moses, complained against God. God took care of those people, by the way, too. And they complained constantly. And they whined. And they murmured. God said, you tested me. You tried me. I gave you all these things. I took care of you. I loved you. I delivered you. I provided for you. You tested me and you tried me. Look at what God has done in your life and be grateful. 
Count your blessings. Be thankful for what the Lord has done. Look for the wonderful ways that He has taken care of you and provided for you. Because if you can focus more on those things than on the things you think He fell short concerning, which He hasn't, but sometimes in our mind we think that way, it will help us not to become hardened in our hearts. He goes on to say there in verse 10, that is why I was angry with that generation. Their hearts are always going astray. They've not known my ways. And it wasn't for lack of God's revelation that they didn't know His ways. It was for the lack of their appreciation. They just didn't appreciate and revere and respect and worship God. And they weren't thankful in their hearts. Whatever God did was never good enough. And so they complained and they murmured. That was their disposition. We have to really guard our hearts against that church. It's easy to just become complainers. It's easy to become people who just, you know, are, are always looking at what they think God hasn't done instead of what God has done. We have to guard against that in our own hearts because as a result, he says there in verse 11, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. They shall never enter my rest. Now, in the historical context, he meant they're never going to get to the promised land. They're never, they're never going to enjoy the rest that they would otherwise have had by coming into the promised land because of their, their unbelief and their rebellion, they died in the wilderness. And the only people from that generation were the two guys, Caleb and Joshua, who believed God for his faithfulness that went in. Otherwise, it was the next generation. All the kids of, of the fallen would go into the promised land. But those who rebelled against God, they never entered his rest. Now, Rest is going to be a key word used here in the next couple of chapters. In chapters 3 and 4, the word rest is found 13 times. 13 times. It's going to become a major theme here in this chapter and in the next. And the ultimate rest that the writer of Hebrews is pointing to is the rest that we have in salvation because of knowing Christ. I mean, there's no greater So he's taking an historical concept here about, remember the rebellion, hardness of heart, and they never got into the promised land, they never entered God's rest. He's saying, don't harden your hearts, don't rebel against God, or you won't experience the rest that comes through that relationship in knowing Christ. So that's the ultimate rest that he's pointing to here. We'll talk more about that when we get into chapter 4 next week. But then he goes on to say something here, and this is where the book of Hebrews gets very challenging and, and somewhat difficult to interpret. There's been a lot of division about, you know, what does this mean? But look at verse 12 with me. He says, see to it, brothers, and, he, and he's building on this whole, this whole argument here, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But let me just read through the end and then we'll come back. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened, there's the same theme, by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if, that's an important word, if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first, as has just been said. And then he repeats it, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Okay, a lot of great discussion and sometimes even division, which we don't want over verses like this. 
Um, you can read different parts of your Bible. For those of you who know the difference between the terms Calvinism and Arminianism, you can read different parts of your Bible, and it sounds very Calvinist. Other parts of your Bible uh, look very Arminian. And when you take the whole counsel of God's Word together, you have a neat balance, and the tension is kept intentionally intact. This is one of these sections here where it looks a little Arminian. What do I mean by that? It, it, the emphasis is a lot on, you, you better hold up your end of the deal. You better hold up your end of the deal. And, and in fact, he even uses the term hold firmly. You better, he says there in verse 14, if, it's a conditional statement, if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. He's going to put an emphasis on our responsibility to hold on to Jesus and to hold on to the confidence we had at first, our faith in Christ. And he starts this section here in verse 12 by saying, make sure, see to it, brothers. Now notice he refers to them as brothers. These are believers. These are not unbelievers. These are believers. He even started chapter 3, verse 1, by calling them holy brothers. So these are born-again believers in Jesus, and he, and he warns them, make sure that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, I'm going to put the verse on the screen for you because I want to underline the, the words turns away from. We're just going to going to kind of dissect this a little bit. And the Greek word here for that phrase turns away is aphistemi. And aphistemi is from two Greek words, apo meaning offer away, and histemi meaning to stand. So it literally means to stand off or to stand away from, aphistemi. If you have a, an ESV, it says, see to it that, that you don't fall away from. If you have a New King James, it says, see to it that, you, that you're not departing from. Okay, so fall away from, depart from, or NIV says turns away from the living God. And just to put some context on this Greek word aphistemia, I'm going to give you two other examples in the Bible where the word is used. Luke chapter 8, verse 13, Jesus uses that word aphistemi to describe those who receive the word in joy but have no root and fall away in times of testing. So Jesus even talks about, you know, that some seed falls on a rocky path, some in a thorny area, some uh, on good soil. And, and so he's using different language to describe the effect that some people receive God's Word in different ways. And, and some receive it initially in joy, but then times of testing come and they fall away. Aphistemi, that's the same word in Luke 8.13. Another example of it, and even probably an even harsher use of it, is in 1 Timothy 4.1, where Paul writes to Timothy and he says, listen, some at the end of the age will not put up with sound doctrine. They're going to abandon the faith, aphistemi, and they're going to follow deceiving spirits. So that word, aphistemi, is never used in a cheerful way. It's always used to describe this whole concept of abandoning turning away, falling away, departing. So never used in a good sense as it relates to the Christian. Then the debate becomes, is the writer of Hebrews talking about someone who never really believed or someone who believed and then renounced their faith or turned away? So, so in, in all that becomes great debate. And I, I, don't, I don't believe it's really fruitful to split hairs over the whole thing. I can tell you this much. He's not talking about people who have never really believed because, again, he calls them brothers. These are believers. This is a warning about turning away. And all I can say is that there is some emphasis placed here on our responsibility. 
Again, he emphasizes here, if, verse 14, we have come to share in Christ, we've come to share in Christ, we know Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Some people love to point out John 10, 28, where Jesus talks about how no one can be snatched from my hand. True. I have no concerns about God's grip on me. The concern we should have is what is our grip on God? And that part is our responsibility. God's never going to fail us. God has a firm grip. But what is our responsibility? The writer here says, if we hold firmly to that which we, to the confidence we had at first. So again, I, I don't want to, I don't want to swing to either extreme. I'm not a five point on, on the arguments of Calvinism or Arminianism. Because I think that the Bible presents a balanced view that God is sovereign, but man is also responsible. And that part of our responsibility is making sure that we don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away, that abandons, that aphistemi, that, that departs from the living God. And that's why in the middle of this discussion, he says in verse 13, that we should encourage one another every day. We need to encourage each other in the faith, encourage each other daily as long as it is called today so that we don't develop a hard heart. So, so we not only have a responsibility in our walk with the Lord, we have a responsibility in our, in our relationship to one another to help encourage one another. Now, he, he's going to use the word encouragement a few times through this book. One of them is in chapter 10, verse 25, where he talks about don't forsake the assembly. Don't give up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing. I thank I thank you all that you're here tonight because you're living out the exhortation of Scripture. He says in, in, in chapter 10, 25, he says, don't give up the habit of meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encourage each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. What's the day? The, the return of Christ it, and, and ultimate rest, yes. But I mean, when we are getting closer and closer to the return of Christ, we have to encourage each other more and more. Why? Because the world's getting that much more crazy. And, and our faith is going to be that much more challenged. And Christians are going to be that much more hated. And, and we're going to experience persecution. Perhaps not to the degree that others do in other parts of the world. But at some level, we will not be liked. If you want to follow Christ, you will not always be liked. Get used to it. He was crucified for it. And so as we see the day approaching, we have to encourage each other. We have to come alongside each other and say, hey, I just, how can I pray for you? Hey, the Lord put a verse on my heart for you today. I just wanted to share this with you that it might strengthen you for the day. Text each other verses. Pray for each other. Stop each other in and, you know, as you see each other. And say, how can I pray for you today? We need to be about strengthening each other and encouraging each other in the, in the body of Christ because there is this potential for us to be deceived in our hearts and become hardened. That's why he says, today... Don't wait till tomorrow. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Let's read through the end of the chapter. He says in verse 16, Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it, was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So he's using this historical lesson as a modern-day reminder, don't be hardened in your heart, and please, today, he quotes here from Psalm 95, today. He's going to say it 
He says it twice in chapter 3. He's going to say it again in chapter 4. So I'm going to close with this story just to kind of bring that point home about today. Because the, the exhortation is you don't, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. That's basically what he's saying. He's like, none of us is guaranteed tomorrow, so we need to make sure today we're right with the Lord. Now, I shared this story a few years ago, so some of you have heard this before, but every time I, I hear that verse, it reminds me of a guy who, who was a friend of mine, maybe friend is strong, he was a, an acquaintance of mine that I met actually through the process of our church going through the originally the special exception process for our old building over on Miller Drive. So we had to go before the planning commission here in the town of Leesburg and then ultimately before the town council and had to get approval for a special exception to be able to have a church in what was and what still is an industrial zone over there at the air park where our first church was on Miller Drive. And so in the course of going through these hearings, I developed an acquaintance with one of the guys who was on the planning commission. His first name was David, and David was kind of a quirky guy, and he was kind of a, I'd describe him as like a country gentleman. He was just like always very respectful, very, had funny sayings, had funny expressions, had a bit of an accent, uh, usually had like a fedora on it, you know, and so it was just kind of a very, kind of a, a gentleman's gentleman. And as a result of meeting him through this whole process with the planning commission, the town council, he, he just kind of took an interest in finding out more about Christ and about Christianity. And so he would just randomly drop by my office at the old building over on Miller Drive. And Marilyn, who was my admin at the time, she'd be like, Mr. Kennedy's here again. And uh, he would just randomly pop in and want to talk about faith and talk about the Lord. And, and uh, he had a lot of questions, a lot of questions. And at the end of every conversation, I would say, all right, David, we spent an hour talking about all this. Are you ready to make a decision for Christ? And in his very respectful tone, he always called me Reverend Gary. And I would keep correcting him, like, there's nothing reverend about me. If you really knew me, you would never call me reverend. But anyway, I would say, he would say, Reverend Gary, not today, maybe tomorrow. And every so often, he'd just keep popping into my office, and we'd talk about faith, and he had all these questions, and at the end of every conversation, I would say the same thing. David, are you ready to make a decision for Christ today? Reverend Gary, not today, maybe tomorrow. That was the way our conversation ended every single time. I probably met with the man a dozen times. And then one day, I got word that as he was campaigning for another person running for a local office here, he was walking down through the streets of downtown Leesburg, and he dropped dead of a heart attack. And I've always wondered, will I see him one day again? Because he heard, and he knew, and he understood, but every time we ended that conversation, he always thought he had tomorrow. So I hope that in his own private time, he made a decision for Christ, and that I'll see him again. But I'm haunted by that story, because every time I read that verse... The exhortation about today. Don't harden your heart today. Because today is all we have. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. I always think about David Kennedy. And I always think about anybody here who might yourself be thinking, maybe I'll, maybe I'll think about Jesus tomorrow. You don't necessarily have tomorrow as a guarantee. I've done more funerals for people under the age of 40 than over the age of 40. People die, and death is no respecter of persons. 
And this is not a tactic to scare anybody into the faith. I'm just saying from real life testimony. I had a friend who kept saying maybe tomorrow, and tomorrow didn't come. And I don't want others to think about Jesus and think to yourself maybe tomorrow when you may not have tomorrow. The book of Hebrews encourages its readers to stop relying on what they can do to be saved, known as living by the law. There's a better way, and it's through Jesus. Jesus came to earth and perfectly lived out his life, never wavering from the law and always showing love and kindness. He was perfect and was also the perfect sacrifice for sin. He obediently died in your place so that you wouldn't need to face the punishment your sins deserve. And all you need to do is accept it. Are you ready to take this step of faith? Jesus is ready and waiting for you to step away from your old life with loving arms wide open. If you're making a decision for your Savior today, please let us know. You can send an email to prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd like to encourage you to find a Bible-teaching church in your area right away. It will be a place where you can grow and learn and find the support of community, of family. You're now part of a family of faith, after all. If you happen to be in the Leesburg area, consider yourself invited to Cornerstone Chapel. We meet weekly for worship and fellowship after studying the Bible together. You'll be able to get more information at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.